0: section 19 of beacon lights of history volume nine european statesman by john lord this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by k hand louis philippe part One, 1773 to eighteen fifty the citizen king a new phase in the development of french revolutionary history took place on the accession of louis philippe to the throne he became king of the french instead of king of france Louis the eighteenth, upon his coming to the throne at Napoleon's downfall, would not consent to reign except by divine right on principles of legitimacy as the brother of Louis the sixteenth. He felt that the throne was his by all the laws of succession. He would not, therefore, accept it as the gift of the French nation or of foreign powers. He consented to be fettered by a constitution as his brother had done, but that any power could legally give to him what he deemed was already his own, was in his eyes an absurdity this was not the case with louis philippe for he was not the legitimate heir he belonged to a younger branch of the bourbons and could not be the legitimate king until all the male heirs of the elder branch were extinct and yet both branches of the royal family were the lineal descendants of henry the fourth this circumstance pointed him out as the proper person to ascend to the throne on the expulsion of the elder branch but he was virtually an elective sovereign chosen by the will of the nation so he became king not by divine right but by receiving the throne as the gift of the people there were other reasons why louis philippe was raised to the throne he was the duke of orleans the richest man in france son of that egalite who took part in the revolution avowing all its principles therefore he was supposed to be liberal in his sentiments the popular leaders who expelled charles V among the rest lafayette that idol of the united states that grandison cromwell as carlyle called him viewed the duke of orleans as the most available person to preserve order and law to gain the confidence of the country and to preserve the constitution which guaranteed personal liberty the freedom of the press the inviolability of the judiciary and the rights of electors to the chamber of deputies in which was vested the power of granting supplies to the executive government Times were not ripe for a republic, and only a few radicals wanted it. The nation desired a settled government, yet one ruling by the laws which the nation had decreed through its representatives. Louis-Philippe swore to everything that was demanded of him, and was, in all respects, a constitutional monarch under whom the French expected all the rights and liberties that England enjoyed. All this was a step in advance of the monarchy of Louis Eighteenth louis philippe was rightly named the citizen king this monarch was also a wise popular and talented man he had passed through great vicissitudes of fortune at one time he taught a school in switzerland he was an exile and a wanderer from country to country he had learned much from his misfortunes he had had great experiences and was well read in the history of thrones and empires he was affable in his manners and interesting in conversation a polished gentleman with considerable native ability—the intellectual equal of the statesmen who surrounded him. His morals were unstained, and his tastes were domestic. His happiest hours were spent in the bosom of his family, and his family was harmonious and respectable. He was the idol of the middle classes. Bankers, merchants, lawyers, and wealthy shopkeepers were his strongest supporters. All classes acquiesced in the rule of a worthy man, as he seemed to all, moderate peace-loving benignant good-natured they did not see that he was selfish crafty money-loving bound up in family interests this plain-looking respectable middle-aged man as he walked under the colonnade of the rue de rivoli with an umbrella under his arm looked more like a plain citizen than a king the leading journals were all won over to his side The Chamber of Deputies, by a large majority, voted for him, and the eighty-three departments, representing thirty-five millions of people, by a still larger majority, elected him king. The two chambers prepared a constitution which he unhesitatingly accepted and swore to maintain. He was not chosen by universal suffrage, but by one hundred and fifty thousand voters. The Republicans were not satisfied, but submitted. So also did the ultra-royalists. It was at first feared that the allied powers under the influence of metternich would be unfriendly yet one after another recognized the new government feeling that it was the best under the circumstances that could be established the man who had the most to do with the elevation of louis philippe was the marquis de lafayette who as far back as the first revolution was the commander of the national guards and they as the representatives of the middle classes sustained the throne during this reign Lafayette had won great reputation for his magnanimous and chivalrous assistance to the United States, when, at twenty years of age, he escaped from official hindrances at home and tendered his unpaid voluntary services to Washington. This was in the darkest period of the American Revolution, when Washington had a pitifully small army and when the American treasury was empty. Lafayette was the friend and admirer of Washington, whose whole confidence he possessed, and he not only performed distinguished military duty, but within a year returned to France and secured a French fleet, land forces, clothing, and ammunition for the struggling patriots, as the result of French recognition of American independence, and of a large treaty of alliance with the new American nation, both largely due to his efforts and influence. When Lafayette departed on his return to France, he was laden with honors and with the lasting gratitude of the American people. He returned burning with enthusiasm for liberty and for American institutions. And this passion for liberty was never quenched, under whatever form of government existed in France. He was, from first to last, the consistent friend of struggling patriots, sincere, honest, incorruptible, with horror of revolutionary excesses, as sentimental as Lamartine, yet as firm as carnot lafayette took an active part in the popular movements in seventeen eighty seven and in seventeen eighty nine formed the national guard and gave it the tricolor badge but he was too consistent and steady-minded for the times he was not liked by extreme royalists or by extreme republicans he was denounced by both parties and had to flee the country to save his life driven from paris by the excesses of the reign of terror which he abhorred he fell into the hands of the Prussians, who delivered him to the Austrians, and by them he was immured in a dungeon at Olmutz for three and a half years, being finally released only by the influence of Napoleon. So rigorous was his captivity that none of his family or friends knew for two years where he was confined. On his return from Austria he lived in comparative retirement at La Grange, his country seat, and took no part in the government of Napoleon, whom he regarded as a traitor to the cause of liberty nor did he enter the service of the Bourbons, knowing their settled hostility to free institutions. History says but little about him during this time, except that from 1818 to 1824 he was a member of the Chamber of Deputies, and in 1825 to 1830 was again prominent in the legislative opposition to the royal government. In 1830 again, as an old man, he reappeared as commander-in-chief of the National Guards when Charles X was forced to abdicate. Lafayette now became the most popular man in France, and from him largely emanated the influences which replaced Charles X with Louis-Philippe. He was not a man of great abilities, but was generally respected as an honest man. He was most marked for practical sagacity and love of constitutional liberty. The phrase, a monarchical government surrounded with republican institutions, is ascribed to him, an illogical expression which called out the sneers of Carlyle, whose sympathies were with strong governments, and with the men who can rule, and who therefore, as he thought, ought to rule. Lafayette was doubtless played with and used by Louis-Philippe, the most astute and crafty of monarchs. Professing the greatest love and esteem for the general who had elevated him, the king was glad to get rid of him. So too were the chambers, the former from jealousy of his popularity, and the latter from the dislike of his independence and integrity. Under Louis-Philippe he held no higher position than as a member of the Chamber of Deputies. As deputy he had always been, and continued to be, fearless, patriotic, and sometimes eloquent. His speeches were clear, unimpassioned, sensible, and he was always listened to with respect. He took great interest in the wrongs of all oppressed people, and exiles from Poland, from Spain, and from Italy found in him a generous protector. His house was famous for its unpretending hospitalities— especially to american travelers he lived long enough to see the complete triumph of american institutions in 1824 upon a formal invitation by congress he revisited the united states as the guest of the nation and received unprecedented ovations wherever he went a tribute of the heart such as only great benefactors enjoy when envy gives place to gratitude and admiration a great man he was not in the ordinary sense of greatness yet few men will live as long as he in the national hearts of two nations for character if not for genius for services if not for brilliant achievements the first business of the new monarch in eighteen thirty was to choose his ministers and he selected as premier lafitte the banker a prominent member of the chamber of deputies who had had great influence in calling him to the throne lafitte belonged to the liberal party and was next to lafayette the most popular man in france but superior to that statesman in intellect and executive ability he lived in grand style and his palace with its courts and gardens was the resort of the most distinguished men in france the duke of choiseul dupin beranger casimir perrier Montalvis, the two aragos guizot audion barot politicians, artists, and men of letters. His ministry, however, lasted less than a year. The vast increase in the public expenditure aroused a storm of popular indignation. The increase of taxation is always resented by the middle classes, and by this measure Lafitte lost his popularity. Moreover, the public disorders lessened the authority of the government. In March 1831, the king found it expedient to dismiss Lafitte and appoint Casimir Perrier, an abler man, to succeed him the feat was not great enough for the exigencies of the time his business was to make money and it was his pleasure to spend it but he was unable to repress the discontents of Paris or to control the French revolutionary ideas which were spreading over the whole continent especially in Belgium in which a revolution took place accompanied by a separation from Holland Belgium was erected into an independent kingdom under a constitutional government prince leopold of saxe-coburg having refused the crown of greece was elected king and shortly after married a daughter of louis philippe which marriage of course led to a close union between france and belgium in this marriage the dynastic ambition of louis philippe which was one of the main causes of his subsequent downfall in eighteen forty eight became obvious but he had craft enough to hide his ambition under the guise of zeal for constitutional liberty Casimir Perrier was a man of great energy, and liberal in his political antecedents, a banker of immense wealth and great force of character, reproachless in his integrity. He had scarcely assumed office when he was called upon to enforce a very rigorous policy. France was in a distracted state, not so much from political agitation as from the discontent engendered by poverty, and by the difficulty of finding work for operatives. A state not unlike that of England before the passage of the Reform Bill, According to Louis Blanc, the public distress was appalling, united with disgusting immorality among the laboring classes in country districts and in great manufacturing centers. In consequence, there were alarming riots at Lyon and other cities. The people were literally starving, and it required great resolution and firmness on the part of the government to quiet the disorders. Lyon was in the hands of a mob, and Marshal Soult was promptly sent with 40,000 regular troops to restore order. In this public distress when laborers earned less than a shilling a day and when the unemployed exceeded in number those who found work on a wretched pittance was at its height when the chamber of deputies decreed a civil list for the king to the amount of nearly nineteen millions of francs thirty-seven times greater than that given to napoleon as first consul and this too when the king's private income was six millions of francs a year such was the disordered state of the country that the prime minister whose general policy was that of peace sent a military expedition into ancona in the papal territories merely to divert the public mind from the disorders which reigned throughout the land indeed the earlier years of the reign of louis philippe were so beset with difficulties that it required extraordinary tact prudence and energy to govern it all but the king was equal to the emergency he showed courage and good sense and preserved his throne At the same time, while he suppressed disorders by vigorous measures, he took care to strengthen his power. He was in harmony with the Chamber of Deputies, composed almost entirely of rich men. The Liberal Party demanded an extension of the suffrage, to which he gracefully yielded, and the number of electors was raised to 180,000, but extended only to those who paid a direct tax of 200 francs. A bill was also passed in the Chamber of Deputies abolishing hereditary peerage, though opposed by Guizot, Thiers, and Berrier. Of course the opposition in the upper house was great and thirty-six new peers were created to carry the measure the year 1832 was marked by the ravages of the cholera which swept away 20,000 people in Paris alone and among them Casimir Perrier and Cuvier the pride of the scientific world but Louis-Philippe was not yet firmly established on his throne his ministers had suppressed disorders seized 200 journals abolished hereditary peerage extended the electoral suffrage while he had married his daughter to the King of Belgium. He now began to consolidate his power by increasing the army, seeking alliances with the different powers of Europe, bribing the press, and enriching his subordinates. Taxation was necessarily increased, yet renewed prosperity from the increase of industries removed discontents, which arise not from the excess of burdens, but from a sense of injustice. Now began the millennium of shopkeepers and bankers, all of whom supported the throne the chamber of deputies granted the government all the money it wanted which was lavishly spent in every form of corruption and luxury again set in never were the shops more brilliant or equipages more gorgeous the king on his accession had removed from the palace which cardinal mazarin had bequeathed to louis xiv and took up his residence at the tuileries and though his own manners were plain he surrounded himself with all the pomp of royalty but not with the old courtiers of charles x greatly distinguished himself in suppressing disorders especially a second riot in lyon to add to the public disorders the duchess of Berry made a hostile descent on france with the vain hope of restoring the elder branch of the bourbons this unsuccessful movement was easily put down and the discredited princess was arrested and imprisoned meanwhile the popular discontents continued and a fresh insurrection broke out in paris headed by republican chieftains The Republicans were disappointed and disliked the vigour of the government, which gave indications of a sterner rule than that of Charles X. Moreover, the labouring classes found themselves unemployed. The government of Louis-Philippe was not for them, but for the bourgeois party, shopkeepers, bankers, and merchants. The funeral of General Lamarque, a popular favourite, was made the occasion of fresh disturbances, which at one time were quite serious. The old cry of Vive la République, began to be heard from thousands of voices in the scenes of former insurrections. Revolt assumed form. A mysterious meeting was held at Lafitte's, when the dethronement of the King was discussed. The mob was already in possession of one of the principal quarters of the city. The authorities were greatly alarmed, but they had taken vigorous measures. There were eighteen thousand regular troops under arms, with eighty pieces of cannon, and thirty thousand more in the environs, beside the National Guards. What could the students of the polytechnic school and an undisciplined mob do against these armed troops in vain their cries of vive la liberté abbas louis philippe the military school was closed and the leading journals of the republican party were seized marshal sol found himself on the 7th of june eighteen thirty two at the head of sixty thousand regular troops and twenty thousand national guards the insurgents who had erected barricades were driven back after a fierce fight at the cloister of st marie this bloody triumph closed the insurrection the throne of the citizen king was saved by the courage and discipline of the regular troops under a consummate general the throne of charles x could not have stood a day in face of such an insurrection the next day after the defeat of the insurgents paris was proclaimed in a state of siege in spite of the remonstrances of all parties against it as an unnecessary act but the king was firm and indignant and ordered the arrest of both democrats and legitimists including garnier paget and chateaubriand himself he made war on the press during his reign of two years two hundred and eighty-one journals were seized and fines imposed to nearly the amount of four hundred thousand francs the suppression of revolts in both paris and lyon did much to strengthen the government and the result was an increase of public prosperity capital reappeared from its hiding places and industry renewed its labors the public funds rose six per cent the first dawn of the welfare of the laboring classes rose on their defeat for his great services in establishing a firm government marshal salt was made prime minister with de Broglie, guizot and thiers among his associates The chief event which marked his administration was a war with Holland, followed by the celebrated siege of Antwerp, which the Hollanders occupied with a large body of troops. England joined with France in this contest, which threatened to bring on a general European war, but the successful capture of the citadel of Antwerp, after a gallant defense, prevented that catastrophe. This successful siege vastly increased the military prestige of France and brought Belgium completely under French influence. End of section 19